0: welcome to the tipsy knits podcast this is one of our another round series of pre-recorded content for our summer 2019 hiatus we hope you enjoy
1: hello and welcome to another episode i guess of another round with tipsy knits this episode we're kind of taking a step away from the knitting chat but we are still a knitting podcast do not worry do not fret we have not abandoned you We've decided this episode, because we had requests of chatting about things like books, movies, and general stuff that we like, we would have an episode dedicated to fandom. And as always, as is the apparent theme with Another Round, we are joined by a special guest. Yes. We are joined by someone who I am sure lots of listeners are actually very familiar with. Yes. (laughs) She is... And probably needs no introduction, but I have to do one because this is audio. <laughs> and I'm drawing this out. Isn't this exciting? Aren't you thrilled? She is podcast BFF, number one. Possibly our first ever listener and fan.
2: <laughs> yeah. I don't
0: know. I assume so. Also our first ever interview, because we interviewed like way
2: back yeah. in like episode five or mm-hmm. six. Can't believe I've surpassed all of your parents as your number one fan. I know, right?
1: Um <laughs> uh, Some of you may recognise her as... Loving pal wandering around festivals with us and tolerating our actions. Mm-hmm. Some of you may know her from her various Instagram lives from uh, numerous littles around Scotland. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, who are you? You should probably introduce yourself, actually. Sure.
2: Uh, I'm Heather, friend of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> should
1: and I what are the other things? <laughs> yeah,
2: like what do you do? What's your occupation? Uh, I'm a writer. Um, I mean, I have a day job, but the writing I think is the more interesting part. I've had, a, I've had some stories published in various anthologies Including Including uh, 30 Years of Rain, Temporal Discompobulations And We Were Always Here, an anthology of queer Scottish literature And I have another story coming out soon uh, Which is a sort of queer Victorian ghost shit Story. Am I allowed to swear on your podcast? Yes, yeah. You are now. Yes. Okay. I uh, think you're our first swearer. No, you said bitch last episode. That was a count. Ah, uh, I don't count that as a swear word. If anyone else does, sars. <laughs> but either way, anyway, anyway. that, that's coming out in Lamplight Magazine at some point this summer.
1: And mm-hmm. um, where can people find you when you're not with us? Because uh, Heather is a real person of her own right. We don't just like pull her out and take her to places.
2: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at hetheratops it's like a combination of my name and a triceratops yeah the thinking mm-hmm. um i keep thinking that i'm gonna set up like an official author website but every time i do i'm reminded of that pin-up model with the same name as me that's stolen all the domains and i hate her um <laughs> so that's that's a future project
1: good no i did not know that we know about this
2: <laughs> her name is heather valentine and Heather Valentine if you're listening get off Heather Valentine's stuff (laughs) I'm going to have to come up with my own slightly different domain name and that extra bit of labour gets in the way every time (laughs) (laughs) I think we had it easy just coming up with tipsy (laughs) knits.
0: I was surprised no one had taken that before us to be honest
1: Yeah. anyway, fandom chat as probably comes across in regular episodes of the podcast Pip and I are on the geeky side Mm Mm-hmm.
0: We're active in a few different, essentially, Mm -hmm. fandom-type spaces, which, for those who are not involved in fandom, are a really strange type of thing to explain, I guess.
1: Yeah, so I think the first thing we need to establish is, for those who aren't necessarily involved in fandoms, what even is fandom? Mm. This is not my area
2: of expertise. (laughs) you guys want to Are are you sure? (laughs) Because you have an A3 photograph of Matt Mercer in your back room. I just saw it. Not just Matt Mercer. You're right. His friends whose names I don't know because I'm the only person that I know that doesn't watch Critical Role. (laughs) (laughs) Not for long. (laughs) I promise to watch Craven Edge and I will. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Sia,
0: this is, I guess, what is fandom is kind of your expertise, really.
2: How many pages of thesis did you just print off about it? Okay, we are recording
1: on the day of my thesis printing, and I can confirm that across three copies of my thesis, there are a grand total of 996 pages. Yeah. And my thesis title is Finding the Fangirl in DC's New 52 Batgirl and Harley Quinn. Yes. So yeah, I guess I kind of know some stuff. (laughs) (laughs) The too long didn't read version or tldr for those of you that grew up on live journal or other websites that use that abbreviation (laughs) um i guess is that fandom is essentially a community Mm -hmm. yeah um, as people who are more involved in fandoms than i am because i'm one of those horrible academics that's like i really love this thing i'm gonna sit back and write about it and not get involved (laughs) which is mostly for my sanity more than anything else because some fandom communities are weird
2: yeah, I guess it's it's sort of basically like a community who come around a piece of art or media, um, a film, a book, a TV show. Um, I guess a musician, although that's mm-hmm. not really my area. That they that they love and celebrate and share things about it, and sometimes it's people just chatting about things they like, and sometimes it goes very deep. Mm. And sometimes that's okay, and sometimes that's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> And it's
0: also really interesting because, I guess, one of the first real fandoms, if you look back, is, like, the Star Trek fandom. Yeah. That the, was when it really became Yeah, it was a phenomenon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you've got Star Trek and then you've got things later on, like the X-Files, and you've got mm. people who, back in the days, pre-internet, do things, like they'd set up conventions and stuff.
2: Yeah, and they'd make zines um, yeah, to share kind of like fan fiction or just discussion about it yes Um, they post their own works and things they do fan art and generally fandom
0: is quite dominated by women Mm -hmm. um so it's quite funny because what often happens Mm -hmm. is that women start a fandom and then almost get pushed out of it Mm -hmm. so that's what happened with star trek star Mm -hmm. trek was saved by a writing campaign of the women's fans, mm-hmm. it was seen as a women's show, mm-hmm. and then as soon as it kind of got more popular, women were ostracized from the f- from it the space. So it's a really interesting thing as well to look at like the different ages mm-hmm. of fandoms. Yeah. So, for example, a fandom that I mm-hmm. was very heavily um, involved in a few years ago and have kind of got back into recently is. Um, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. Now, I had previously been involved in other fandoms. Sorry if you can hear the ice cream truck in the background, guys.
1: I'm not sorry, I want ice cream. It's <laughs> not <laughs> actually an ice cream truck. <laughs> I want drugs. <laughs> they literally have like, loaves of bread in the back of yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay. They
0: deliver. They deliver groceries they to don't. the old folks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Old folks are fans of that van. <laughs> the um, fandom, if you will. Yes.
0: <laughs> sorry. Babe. So. Like, i have been involved in the Star Trek Next Generation fandom mm-hmm. for quite mm-hmm. a few years before that, and it's very interesting seeing how different fandoms which have different ages of participants can be very different. Mm-hmm. So Star Trek Next Generation tends to be a fair amount of older fans. Mm-hmm. MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe at the time where I joined around about 2012 when yeah. the Avengers movie came out. Had a lot of us older mm-hmm. fans, but also a lot of younger fans and this was the first time they'd actually participated in a fandom and mm-hmm. It's really interesting to see how that changes the way they work yeah. as well
2: yeah'm trying to think about what my first fandom would have been because I guess I, I'm no matter how interested I am in something, I don't always join the kind of community around it if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. There's lots of things that I'm a big fan of that. I just keep that to myself like um, Twin Peaks Like I don't know what the Twin Peaks fandom is doing I don't want to know (laughs) that's for me having read academic work on it I'm not sure you want to know I don't want to know having had you describe the titles of some of these academic papers to me I would not like you to remind me (laughs) Um, uh, but for example I got quite involved with like Homestuck when it was a big thing and that was quite similar in that you you had even though it was kind of a new work in 2013 or whatever um, you had a lot of older people that read it, um, you had people that had been around that site for a while reading Andrew Hussey's previous work and then you had all the 12 year olds and all the 15 year olds all the 18 year olds and they all have their own various different reactions to being in this space for the first time because it's um, you know especially if it's if it's online and it's really you're going really heavy geeky in a way that you might not do mm-hmm. in your real life um it can feel very intimate that you have this very deep shared well of knowledge and reference with other people um and i think when fans get when fans can get kind of a bad reputation i get at homestuck fans have a very bad reputation for being incredibly irritatingly overbearing with referencing their homestuck every time but it's it's a kind of language of belonging that, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's why people are very interested in it.
1: Yeah, I think one thing to say is no fandom is the same. Yeah, mm. although you will get certain behaviours and practices, so activities for want of a better word, that are frequent fixtures across different fandoms. So, mm-hmm. say cosplaying, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that is something that you'll find in the superhero communities, but you'll also find it in things like Avatar The Last Airbender. You'll find people that cosplay from video games, that kind of thing. Again, writing fan fiction. Mm-hmm. That is not isolated to 12 year olds writing weird Harry Potter stuff. No. There is a lot there. And I mean, the other thing is, it can get quite gendered in certain fandoms. Yeah. So, one of the things that I've worked with a lot are the terms fanboy and fangirl,
0: mm.
1: and certainly in the superhero fandom, fanboy is seen as sort of a legitimizing term. So if you are a male, you are a fanboy, and it's kind of seen that you are the future of fandom, regardless as to whether or not you were involved in the fandom when it first started, mm-hmm. like Pit was saying. Whereas fangirl, up until sort of the last three years or so, has been seen as a more negative term. So, it's the idea that you're immature, you're squeeing over, you know, a figure, be it, you know, like, oh, Harry Potter's so hot, oh my god, or, you know, I totally ship, I'm um, no, these two characters, OMG, whatever.
2: Yeah, it's a kind of like, it has the connotation that you are mm. kind of like one dimensionally, femininely, sexually interested in it, and that's the entirety yeah. of your. What I'm thinking of is, um, think you've both at least seen Mm -hmm. there was a Twitter thread about there was a Star Wars comic that came out a few months ago, the um, Darth Vader Dark Visions 3 or something Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess for anyone that uh, didn't see it, it's the concept of that series was like, how did different people see Darth Vader Mm -hmm. and this one was centred around the perspective of like a medic that Works on one of the ships and sees him and develops a kind of like romantic fantasy about him. Uh, But the comic is very heavily depicts that as being, you know, creepy or wrong or that she's pathetic Mm. and it ends with her being quite graphically murdered in a way that's supposed to be quite funny to the reader while using imagery from kind of feminine fantasy like The Little Mermaid and Phantom of the Opera that. Is very kind of has big female fandoms and is a lot more female positive. Whereas, if you look at the literal flipped male example, Kylo Ren in the films, on the one hand, his the fact that he's a kind of Vader fanboy is kind of criticized and kind of made fun of, but he's also allowed a much greater degree of emotional depth and tragedy, and mm-hmm. is supposed to be a much more kind of if not necessarily a relatable figure, he's a villain. He's someone who's provides a lot more pathos than this one-dimensional, like um, silly, horny woman. Mm. Mm. That is how the kind of yeah. female equivalent is depicted.
0: It's interesting because there's a few different ways that kind of are ubiquitous, mm-hmm. and like you were saying about there's cosplayers, mm-hmm. female cosplayers routinely get shit, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. especially when they're cosplaying characters that are scantily clad, and they are. Rep- they are actually costuming that character yeah. faithfully and then they get they get basically hounded for being a slut. Hounded for being oh, you're just doing it to get attention. Yeah. But a bloke can cosplay. I mean, they're sexy, they're sexy mm-hmm. slave Leia male cosplays, yeah. but they don't get any of these kind of comments.
2: I'm having a real vision of those. This one sexy Professor Leighton cosplayer who was really funny. Um, uh, but again, I don't know if it's because the idea that male sexiness is seen as amusing... Um, and that's the only, you know, viable way to look at it. Whereas female sexuality mm. is very like, um, that's not a person. She doesn't yeah. make jokes or have a humanity. While she's in this outfit she's wearing that someone else designed. Um,
1: yeah, I think part of the problem kind of goes all the way back to the, the creation of
2: mm-hmm.
1: popular geek culture and geek media, and it's the idea that, as people are saying, men tend to populate it. Mm-hmm. And they tend to be more vocal, and I think some of it comes down to the idea that, as a society, certainly in the West, it's the idea of patriarchy, and that if you're a man, you automatically have a seat at the table,
2: mm-hmm.
1: whereas as a woman, you don't. Um, and I think another thing, like that, we probably should take into account really, is the idea that it, even then, it's still under set circumstances. So if you are a heterosexual white male, abled probably aged between about 18 and 34 you get that seat if however you are from any other group any other marginalised group you don't get it mm.
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I think that's another problem, it's all very binary still and I think we're still trying to catch up in terms of the language we use Yeah, just I- to go a bit thesis on you again <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> it just, I, I find it
0: really interesting because generally from my experience as a female fan female fan Mm -hmm. female fan spaces and male fan spaces are very separate from one another and they don't really overlap so blokes in general Mm -hmm. are the ones that will have big collections and they'll have they'll the way they interact with it is by collecting all the things and getting Mm -hmm. all the issues and being and I'm not saying women don't do that but generally, what women do is they go, "Great, I'm going to take these and I'm going to write fan fiction. I'm going mm-hmm. to make fan art. I'm going to do gift sets." And the people from the first category go, "How dare you change things? How dare you, you go against holy canon? How dare?" You? Whereas, like the part of fandom that I'm mm-hmm. that I interact with probably the most would be like fan fiction and fan art Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that is all about going oh I love this character Mm -hmm. I'm going to like put them in other situations Mm -hmm. or I'm going to make and
1: (sighs) yes like what you're talking about is actually something that like it's an academic thing as well Mm -hmm. so if any of you are interested and want to go off and read about it um, Suzanne Scott and Henry Jenkins are the two names you want to go look at and they are really accessible reads Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, they are not kind of like heavy academic stuff but it's the idea that you have the fanboys so the legitimate fans who are archivists and they kind of see the author as god, word Mm -hmm. is law, and they are there to gatekeep they are there to ensure that the sanctity of that author's word is as is Mm -hmm. whereas you get groups of other fans who again are you know, they are more marginalised readers or viewers or whatever and obviously they don't necessarily see themselves represented in that media Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's about trying to interact with it in ways that does include them Mm -hmm. to an extent a big
0: one there being so in fan fiction which is fan fiction gets a bad rep for this um is what's called slash fan fiction which is where people take characters that are Mm -hmm. explicitly or never really said anything else but are essentially straight Mm -hmm. usually men can be women
1: so basically you're thinking harry potter and draco
0: yeah but what they do is they then ship them which is when you write characters in a relationship with one another and some of the archivist type character like people get really angry and then they're like why do you have to make characters Mm. queer or whatever and it's like because there actually aren't any queer characters (laughs) in the story so if we want to see ourselves Mm.
2: represented yeah heather do you want to weigh in on this one I guess the thing that's uh, interesting to me is the idea of um, the worked as a sort of like sanct canon thing versus Mm. the idea of it as something that is sort of can be transformed, can be malleable, and this can be through, this can be through academic criticism, through taking fan fiction, through fan art, through just, you know, whether that's kind of like swapping theories and theorising about what's going to happen next, which... Some of that can cross over into the archivist territory—the sort of like respectable theorizing—and but that again can come over a kind of like I've cataloged all the foreshadowing and I've made the logic out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I guess the other kind of more feminine fandom is about interfacing it, in it with it in a different way. Um, about it can—it's it, not even necessarily about a sort of. I'll, transforming representation way although it can be it can just be about exploring emotions and scenarios and themes in the works and there's a sort of you know there's a literary tradition of this um if if you look at i guess it kind of gets said over and over but still if you look at classic greek literature or paintings of scenes from mythos or the bible or etc that's tends to often be someone putting a sort of transformative take on something rather than trying to present it as a one hundred percent no ambiguity logical thing. Um, because I, I guess the the sort of there are films that there are films for example or books for example that generally don't have a fandom because they're not that kind of film. Um Lars and Nymphomaniac does not have a fandom <laughs> as far as I'm aware really hope it doesn't. <laughs> if, if it doesn't, I'm going to go and write the first... the first fic. Oh, good <laughs> lord, no. But there, you can still approach that in a sort of archival versus transformative mm-hmm. way, where I think, obviously it's not necessarily a versus which one's superior way, but the, the kind of mindset that you take into transformative is the one that embraces and explores ambiguity and weird symbolism and that kind of thing and takes it off in its own little direction um you can see whether that's like i really like the sort of beats of these characters interacting but i want to, there to be more of it or for it to go to a place that the film or tv show for whatever reason didn't go to or i want to speculate and taking that and just going with it Instead of saying this can only ever be the sum of its part, like mm-hmm. this, can only ever be its parts. Um, this can only ever be what's on screen. This can only ever be text and not even mm-hmm. subtexts.
1: Yeah, I mean, one thing I always found funny researching DC superhero comics mm-hmm. is when it comes round to it, each comic, each individual run mm-hmm. is fan fiction of the previous run. Mm-hmm. You know, like nothing really is ever that new. Mm -hmm. you know the stories are constantly putting the characters at the same age at the same point and half the time they just retell stuff that's already been retold and they don't add anything to it so how many times has Batman almost or actually gone ahead and married Catwoman (laughs) or Talia al Ghul Mm -hmm. you know Yeah. how
2: many times has Batman been tempted to kill someone
1: yeah how many times have we seen Superman get with Lois Lane or get with Lana or whatever it gets really boring, yeah. and I ne one thing that I cannot quite fathom is why you get groups of fans. And I'm saying this as someone who has spent five years researching this stuff, and I still don't know why you then get fans who get super heads up on the fact that oh, someone had the audacity to write a fan fiction where Dick Grayson's gay, or someone had the nerve to write um, a fan fiction where Cassandra Cain is Batgirl for longer.
2: Yeah, you it's are. it's really interesting, especially in relation to comics and TV, because there you generally tend to have different rotating writers who each come in with new takes on the character. Mm-hmm. So it's kind like that's baked in part of how it works, and what can be what can yeah. be interesting about com- different looking at different comics or series of TV shows or etc. Yeah. But then you have the idea that there are some sort of like authorized, allowed, and their takes and interpretations are somehow superior to and lifted above mm-hmm. everyone else's, even when we're all writers, we're all artists. Yeah. I was going to say, you can see that
0: within the Marvel Cinematic mm-hmm. Universe itself, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. My main fandom, is, mm-hmm. it's my reference point, yeah. I guess. There's three Iron Man movies, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, and if you talk about those three Iron Man movies... Mm-hmm. Depending on which one you're talking about, you'll have some people come in and be like, "That movie is trash. You can barely, con- you can barely consider it canon." Yeah. And someone will be, like, "Oh no, like the other one is terrible. Like I don't consider that canon." But people, but these are the fans that are picking and choosing. it. But then we'll turn around to you and be like, "Why would you write fanfic? Like, how could you write fanfiction about Iron Man?" Yeah. And it's like, "Well, you're picking and choosing exactly. what parts of Iron Man you mm-hmm. want to be that yeah. character." It's like just because someone has then gone on and, and rewritten the ending to say Iron Man 3, right? Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. a thing mm-hmm. in fa- fan fiction, especially the big arc mm-hmm. of the Marvel movies finished recently. Yes, endgame.
2: That's it, there's going to be no more Marvel movies. <laughs> They're all over. But we, we saw
0: the conclusion to a few characters. <clears throat> Let's put it that way, without spoilers. And <laughs> these are characters that fandom especially have... A very strong attachment to I've been watching that, the Marvel movies since they came out in 2008 that's 11 years mm-hmm. I have quite strong emotional attachments to seeing these characters yeah. over 11 years um, and so some people were not necessarily very happy with how endings occurred mm-hmm. with certain characters so there's a big thing at the moment of people essentially rewriting the endings
2: mm-hmm.
0: oh, yes. and some of them are incredible genuinely incredible and it's because they want to explore their own emotions mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. the ending they want to fix it for some people they're mm-hmm. called, sometimes they're called yeah. fix it fix yeah where they are like you know what actually for those of you who emotionally can't deal with what happened mm-hmm. here is a f- fan fiction where you can pretend this happen. is what happened or Oh, if I was writing it, this is what I would have done, mm-hmm. or I don't feel like these characters were relationship was written the way that mm-hmm. it's been written before and changing it, so it's very interesting, almost in that case of fan fiction and fandom, like the fan fiction being like restorative, yeah, mm-hmm. like almost like, okay, well, do you know what? I'm not gonna go on and have a massive tantrum about this is not how. I would have ended this I'm just going to do my own one and if people like it it's cool if they don't like it it's cool Mm -hmm. it's just there now whereas you see other people coming on and they're like this was the most terrible movie or whatever and that's all they do is just harry this rage around with them
2: yeah I think it's I think sometimes where transformative fandom can get a bad rap is when it actually kind of takes a sort of the possessive parts of the archival approach Mm -hmm. um because to me part of the appeal of transformative works is the ability to just you know like expand the range of material and interpretations Mm -hmm. um and not be like i have written a new better ending i have raised enough money on my kickstarter to make a new version of the last jedi it's now (laughs) the official one (laughs) Uh, (laughs) or Mm -hmm. whatever um you know because i guess that the idea of archiving it isn't inherently like negative. Mm-hmm. I think you know, like fandom wikis are a really good resource for lots of it, especially if you're mm-hmm. writing, writing about a PhD. writing a PhD or writing something or interested in a long-running series. Mm-hmm. Or uh, you know, like they have lots of transformative uses, um, and transformative isn't always inherent. Like there are people that do transformative stuff that can take a sort of possessive angle to it, but. At its heart, I think it's not about possessing, um, but about just expanding, so there's no- there's room for everyone, there's more for everyone, there's mm-hmm. the author's original vision or the various different authors' various original conflicting, mm-hmm. redrafted, studio-mandated visions, I guess it depends if you're looking at a book or a multi-year, multi-film franchise here. Mm-hmm. Um and then there's the room for all the other stories weaving in and out, and I I think that's what's great about it.
0: Yeah, I think the... You're right there, I think, like, the way I would describe it is that the transformative fandom is more of a sharing fandom.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's about
0: definitely. sharing with other people. Mm-hmm. Like...
1: There isn't a competition to it. Mm-hmm. Um it is about finding people essentially who are you know like-minded they share the same love of something over you and they just want to share that love mm-hmm. i think
2: yeah like with transformative fandom isn't about being right in the way that um very like you know like cinema sins nitpicky uh, ta- like, inter- like integrations yeah. with fandom can be
1: yeah like at the end of the day so yeah okay you might know all the Things ever to know about that one thing. Like you might know every single fact ever about the Barry Allen incarnation of The Flash, that's great. But all that's really going to do is maybe get you a couple of rounds in a pub quiz every now and again. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> and potentially alienate you from a lot of people if you're <laughs> about it, frankly. Mm-hmm. I also
0: think it's funny that, like, fangirls, especially, because let's face it, mm-hmm. when people are talking about fan fiction and fan art and things like this, people assume fangirl Mm -mm. is it's kind of considered to be like silly or horny yeah or and it's like actually sometimes fan fiction is better written Mm -hmm. with better plots Mm -hmm. with better representation than half of the novels out there like there are actual published authors that publish fan fiction under Mm -hmm. pseudonyms oh yeah like And some of the fan fiction out there is genuinely some of the most incredible stuff Mm -hmm. I've ever read. And it's not just porn. It's Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean,
1: even then, the stuff that does have sexual content, there are people who read it because they... There are people who read it and they're discovering their sexuality, they're exploring their sexuality. Or they're exploring, as you say, emotions and stuff. And it's not just a case of well, okay, I'm reading again, to use an example from my stuff, like reading Batgirl that's great but because the presumed audience is seen as largely male it's all drawn through a heterosexual male gaze mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and as a woman i no- i don't want to be subjected to that yeah so you know if i want to read fan fiction and it's written in a more emotionally sensitive way and isn't just kind of like call oh, look at batgirl's ass in that costume and oh hey you can see her bat nips <laughs> mm-hmm. you know and there's actually like oh she's interacting with dick grayson you know there's conversation. <laughs> You know, that's great. And you know, like again with fan art. You know, fan art that's kind of like, you know, pictures from different angles and it's not mm. just a case of here's a close up of the bat nips again mm-hmm. or, Oh look, I can see her vulva through that costume. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or or, you know, the flipping broke back pictures where you've got <sighs> Um if anyone remembers the famous Milo Minara Spider-Woman comic cover yeah yes. from around about 20 I want to say 2014 or so where she's on all fours and it turns out he literally just copied the image from um a load of erotic comics that he drew in previously
0: yeah where it's like yeah. human anatomy especially female anatomy does not work, work that, that way. way so
1: again fan fiction and fan art that is aware of what anatomy is and how it works well there's a whole Fan movement called the Hawkeye Initiative. Yes, Hawkeye
0: Initiative is amazing. Where they take those essentially anatomically impossible comic images, yeah, and then they draw them, but with Hawkeye from the from Marvel, yeah. and they go that, and you know, you then inevitably have people be like, "That looks ridiculous." It's like, yes, it looks ridiculous because is- it's a man. Mm. Looks so equally it, ridiculous when
1: a woman does
0: it. Yeah, but because when it's Hawkeye, it's not drawn for the male gaze. They're yeah. like, oh, that's ridiculous. It's like Well, actually, totally. this is exactly copied from this picture of women that you mm. were taught that, that you loved yeah. ten minutes ago. Like,
1: <laughs> See, this is one thing that I hate about the whole revival of the late eighties, early nineties thing. And it's like, yes, th- great, fashion's fantastic. I want to wear a tank top with no bra. But also, that's when the flipping bad girl art came through. Where you've got girls that are, like, basically dressed up like they should be on a porn set. hmm I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm sure there is a time and a place for, like, you know, bondage gear and stuff, but when you're fighting crime, I doubt it.
0: Yes. It's just not practical. No.
1: And, yeah, so if people could stop reviving that, that would be great. Okay, thanks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and even then, you see it um, where there's this weird hostility towards women in geek media, like Captain Marvel...
1: Captain Marvel. I mean Captain Marvel.
0: I mean, the movie. Mm-hmm. They went ballistic. There's a bit where a guy tells her to smile, and she's just like, "Ugh!" And she she steals a mm-hmm. motorbike, and the internet went mental. And it was like, "Well, this is a, like that. Maybe that just wasn't made for the yeah. blokes that are getting angry about it." There's a bit in Endgame where there's all the women are on screen at once, and I was like, "Okay, yes." they've done that on purpose Mm -hmm. it's it's not the most natural moment but it made me feel amazing Mm. the bit in wonder woman where she gets out of the trench and she walks across no man's like i literally cried and then you have people being like oh this is just like pandering blah 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 and it's like well actually maybe it just wasn't made for you Mm -hmm. and the the geek the geek community especially the male geek Mm -hmm. community is gonna have to start to realise soon that not all geek media is made for their consumption and their consumption alone.
2: Yeah, I guess it's also like everything that happens in a work of fiction is a choice. Mm. Um, sometimes it's a subconscious choice, but it's a choice. The way that I kind of the way that things always have been, as it were, is not a sort of natural evolution. It's not a mountain it's a skyscraper it's a thing that has been built and built and built and built and built and built and something being different than that something being chosen specifically to be different than that and appearing alien to the landscape because it's unusual isn't any less of a an artificially constructed choice Mm.
1: i think maybe we're perhaps going a bit off on the ranty tangent Oh, no. Because that's the nature of this beast, unfortunately. So I'm wondering if we maybe want to kind of... Do you want to talk about knitting? No, we're not going to talk about knitting. <laughs> I'm wondering if we maybe want to talk about how we all got to be involved in certain fandoms, or specific mm-hmm. fandoms, maybe. Mm-hmm. Keep just it on sure. a personal level. Um...
0: Yeah, because I'm sitting here thinking, this is going to be very interesting to listen back and edit, because a lot of it just kind of goes into really tangential...
1: It and does, so and I'm just out here like, this counts as public engagement for me. <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> so I hope you guys are enjoying our, like, very yeah. philosophical... And
1: obviously we should probably say that these are our opinions and experiences. They are unique to us. We understand they do not reflect everybody mm-hmm. in various fandoms. Yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah, Heather, do you maybe want to Yeah, sure.
2: start with a fandom? Um, so... I- I- write Dragon Age fan fiction. Which is the best! See, so there might Sorry. be a cheeky chapter for you tonight if you're lucky. Yes! Um, so I- I start- like, I have been a big fan of Bioware's games since about- well, I think since I actually got a PC that could run Knights of the Old Republic. Um, and I've been obsessed with following their stuff for a long time. Um so Dragon Age Origins, I don't know why I prefer that to Mass Effect but something about it really just gelled with me. played all of the Dragon Age games several times Um, and I guess the thing about um, Dragon Age is that it's sort of, I've only actually started writing fanfiction for it very recently but the thing that's kind of interesting to me with that and a lot of other games like that is that it sort of encourages you to fanfic in your own head a little bit. Um, For anyone that hasn't played it in these games, you generally, your character isn't set. You're not um, playing as uh, Dante from Devil May Cry or Aloy from Horizon. Uh, you're, you, even if those characters ha- might have malleable elements in how you view them as your avatar, you choose their appearance, you name them, you get little bits and pieces of their background to pick, you can choose how they deal with situations. And you are therefore kind of encouraged to think of how would my character's past inflect on the choices they make even if that is entirely not in the text itself so coming and kind of expanding that through writing and sort of getting down the story that I'm already basically writing in my head um, was quite fun and rewarding and I can now actually share it with people although I guess I've all I've even before I've been writing it have been sharing it, because if you meet someone who's played another Dragon Age or Knights of the Old Republic, etc. game, one of the first things you will sit down and do and say, my, you know, my Inquisitor is an elf, these are the kind of decisions they made, here's the backstory I imagine to them, and your friend might go, oh mine is a dwarf, and etc, 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 and off you go, and I, it's just really fun. Um, I don't have a philosophical underpinning point to make about it, it's just really fun.
1: <sighs> yeah, kind of jumping in on that one as a fellow Dragon Age fan, I think one of my favorite things about it is the relationship aspect yeah so it encourages you to pick one of your companions to have a relationship with and it's really cool because you get characters of lots of different backgrounds and stuff yeah. and with inquisition i think in particular correct me if i'm wrong they yeah. really kind of like try to make sure the yeah. variants that
2: has the most romances i think yeah and they're very like i think different like all from different all different backgrounds uh lots of different sexualities that's been kind of baked in from the first dragon age which i think Mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong i think might have been either that or mass effect was the first dragon age game to have was the first dragon age the first bioware game to have same sex relationships and that's been really very strongly baked into dragon age um we have um Servan and Liliana in the first game are bisexual, mm-hmm. well, and then you have two straight characters. Yes. Everyone in Dragon Age 2 is bisexual because mm-hmm. they only had a year to make that and didn't have time to code differences. Um, yeah, there is a, a variety of gay, straight, bisexual, sure. uh, I guess, I'd probably describe Iron Bull as more pansexual, but that's yeah. up I <laughs> um, Just sexy, sexual. Um. <laughs> it's Iron
1: Bull. It's not. It's really, Iron Bull. Is, yeah. Uh, uh, Once you know it's Freddie Prince Junior's voice, you will never be able
2: to unhear it. Oh. You're welcome if I've ruined it for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Sexy yeah. Iron Bull Prince Junior. Yeah. Um, so obviously, with that, like for example, I see a lot of Cassandra as a character in Inquisition, mm-hmm. the third game, who is she's straight in the game, but she's very popular with female fans. I would romance her if I could. But I didn't, so I had Cullen instead, and that was also delightful. Oh, he's just an adorable little oh, He's so cute. But um,
1: this is the thing about the Dragon yeah. Age
2: romances, though. They they
1: pull you in, you get invested in these characters, and then they flipping knife you in the heart.
2: I know. I, I, Evil. Some, I'm just, they're like, they're like, Heather, the world's ending. There's dragons. And I'm like, oh, can I, I just want to kiss Cullen. <laughs> I wonder if he's okay. <laughs> yeah every single game i'm like I, I i can see your chaos over there but i'm just i'm just gonna go check in mm-hmm. i'm just gonna go see if they're <laughs> all right yeah and one of the things i like about that game is that you have lots of you have a very big party and they have lot they have their own interrelationships the game has secret has little bits where you'll be wandering around and some of your companions is, will start having a dialogue so yeah so morrigan will threaten to punch Alistair. Yeah and it's then you or alternately morrigan will threaten to punch alistair <laughs> yeah um so it kind of it almost kind of encourages you again to draw the connections not only between like yourself and your romantic interest or yourself and your bff the bff but also all the all the different lines which i think mm-hmm. is i think i really enjoy about it because obviously a film or a book um will have to, by their nature, be a lot more focused in mm-hmm. on primary-secondary relationships um, because of the sprawling nature of the Dragon Age games yeah. in particular, although I think all Bioware games have that kind of, some have some of that kind of like banter aspect. Yeah. Um, just remember Karth being Mission's dad the entire time while well, she was just off causing mischief in KOTOR. It was very cute. Karth's my favourite. Karth <laughs> is my first love. Um, anyway. <laughs> Um, so yeah but just having the sort of like sprawling interconnected relationships especially if you're interested in characters and people and emotions is just very very appealing what about
1: you Sia? Uh, I was hoping we could go to you first god damn it. <laughs> oh it's horrible um, see my problem is I don't get involved in fandoms so it's difficult to say what I'm actually a big fan of at the moment mm-hmm. I think, at the time of recording, I'm super obsessed with Killing Eve at the moment. Mm-hmm. To the point that I'm kind of trying to do, like, cosplay light <laughs> <Villanelle>. <laughs> Um, Which is probably as like deep as I really get. I think researching things ruins them for you. I have learnt that mm-hmm. after ten years of research, so I'm never doing that again. So yeah, I think I love Killing Eve. I think... Mm-hmm. I love it for two reasons. Firstly, I love it because it is two female characters and it's literally sort of about almost like the fascination two women have with each other Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like exploring the way women do get obsessed like we do obsess about each other like oh what's that person thinking Mm -hmm. what are they wearing what are they drinking you know that kind of thing it's not even just on the celebrity culture level like you know mm-hmm. if there's someone i particularly decide as my nemesis that day i will be kind of like yeah what is she having for lunch <laughs> <laughs> i sound like a complete creep oh well <laughs> but you know you do but you guys do that right like mm-hmm. you get properly like fixated on like and course, she's I, drinking lilt yeah of course she turned up wearing that nice jacket that i wanted <laughs> you know all like oh yeah i bet she's reading that i mean obviously this sounds very aggressive but equally you know you do get obsessed with your mates as well and you're just kind of like, oh i hope she's okay mm-hmm. i hope she's still wearing that really nice t-shirt that i saw her wear three weeks ago that's like super cute
2: <laughs> <laughs> they're drinking her lilt
1: <laughs> obviously killing eve does have the uh, murderous um assassin aspect to it um, but the other reason i love it and obviously i've touched on this a bit already is the wardrobe
2: mm-hmm.
1: oh my god the wardrobes like I feel really bad for Sandra oh because she gets the short stick on it and <laughs> she, because she's playing the MI6 agent, is wandering around in anoraks, bless her, whereas Jodie Comer gets these amazing suits and these beautiful blouses and dresses and, like, she is an assassin who dresses for a murder. It's, like, it's beautiful and I'm kind of like, yeah, that power dressing. <laughs> so at the moment I'm kind of obsessing, yeah, obsessing. I super love this one outfit she's wearing in season two, and it's like a pink blouse that's knocked at the waist with like a bright, corally, pinky red skirt. Mm -hmm. And every time I see it in adverts and stuff, I'm like, yeah, my life would be so much better if I wore that. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I think my current mission in life is to sort of like do a like everyday light cosplay version Mm -hmm. of Villanelle. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm unemployed at the moment because you know handing in the thesis, so I know I don't actually have anywhere to wear, like you know. A three-piece suit or <laughs> a massive taffeta gown, but
2: I can dream.
1: Who needs a place to wear it to?
2: Just everyday wear. Just yeah, off to I mean, off to buy some potato scones from the school. Yeah, right.
1: And I mean, the other thing is for me, like I really, super admire cosplayers.
2: Mm-hmm. Cosplay
1: mm-hmm. is some of the most involved, intricate, detailed work I've ever seen. Like the things they do with foam. I know, and like, don't get me wrong, like. I did textiles for GCSE. I know how I know my way around a sewing machine and stuff, but like any crafter out there who is a sewist, I'm sorry but cosplayers put you to shame,
2: guys. <laughs> the amount like oh my goodness, I don't even know where to begin with it. Like It's the way they it's not even just that they've made this beautiful thing, that they've probably designed it themselves. Yes. Yeah, they've designed it themselves, it fits them perfectly. The they accuracy. Use, the accuracy, mm-hmm. the
1: attention to detail. Again, mm-hmm. like you think people doing historical accuracy on historical mm-hmm. dramas?
2: Like, the it is amazing. I guarantee it's, they are cosplayers. <laughs> almost, yeah.
1: But like, it's amazing what cosplayers do, and the amount of money they spend. Like, mm-hmm. I c- I couldn't begin to do that myself. Well, I always
0: dreamt of being a cosplayer. Mm-hmm. I have always, always wanted to be a cosplayer. I have done a few light cosplays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've done a light cosplay of Hellboy. I've done a mm-hmm. light cosplay of from Next Generation. Mm-hmm. I've done a super light cosplay of Iron Man in which I made myself an Iron Man dress, but it didn't actually look like the suit. Mm-hmm. It was
1: so cool, though. And,
0: like, even all of those, like, light cosplays mm-hmm. were hard as hell. Yeah. Like, I wish mm-hmm. I had the talent.
2: Yeah, I yeah. I have done a... I'm not sure if it's a light cosplay or, like, a kind of, like, fashion cosplay or, like, mm. cosplay... Um, Uh, When I was uh, deep in Homestuck I went to a convention as Rose, but Homestuck's kinda handy because the kids just wear t-shirts and the Homestuck merch store sells those t-shirts so you've Mm. got the most identifiable part down and then you just need to accessorize. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I did buy a wig, I did, wandering around without my glasses, wearing a wig for seven hours. Mm. Great time.
1: yeah so i think the most involved thing i did was i dressed as a black canary for halloween one year mm-hmm. and that absolutely was not a cosplay and even then it was black canary so i was wearing a black leotard fishnets boots and a leather jacket yeah mm-hmm. and a blonde wig that that costume was the reason why i went blonde mm-hmm. but yeah even then trying to source a flipping black leotard <laughs> to wear was difficult and i mean right now trying to find myself the perfect pink blouse mm-hmm and a flipping maxi skirt at the moment that is that colour and not a flippin' like, you know proddery anglaise, naff summery, hippy, dippy nonsense thing mm-hmm. it's impossible and I'm like, this is me trying to do it as someone who's kind of like a casual fan but who, like, you know, probably is going to start dreaming in a Russian accent at some point <laughs> so, yeah I'm not sure where I'm going with this mm-hmm. but basically cosplayers are flipping amazing mm-hmm. they're geniuses uh-huh mm-hmm. And none of us have the stamina to do it. <laughs> but if any of you, anyone listening, is a cosplayer, like please tell us about yourselves. Yeah, because we have got a really good cosplay scene here in
2: Glasgow. I think. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, we have like a f- like a few conventions these Like There's a big MCM There's mm-hmm. the Glasgow Comic Con. That's this weekend at time of recording. Yeah. Um, I think.
1: It's usually mid June. Yeah. Yeah, and the cosplayers that come out for that, they're
2: mm-hmm. amazing.
1: Mm -hmm. There's quite a few that tend to do Magic the Gathering ones as well.
2: Yeah.
0: The ones that always get me are the ones that do armor. Mm Yes. So you get people who have the Iron Man armor suits that look like they're from the movie. The the, the ones that, to me, is like peak, oh my God, this Mm -hmm. is incredible, are the Warhammer 40k Mm
2: -hmm.
0: guys. So for anyone that doesn't know Warhammer 40k, it's... Crazy, but. Tabletop wall gaming. There are these guys called Space Marines that are like eight foot tall and live in these giant suits of armour. And when I say giant suits of armour, like. The shoulder pads are bigger than your heads. Yes. And people have made these and walk around in them. All day! And Bonkers. like. Oh, and they're in. Incredible and so detailed mm-hmm. yeah. and like they're the ones that always make my jaw just drop to the floor because the 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 knowledge and the mm-hmm. the talent and the work and everything that goes into them just blows my mind yeah
2: mm-hmm.
0: and they're durable enough mm-hmm. that they'll wear they won't just wear them once mm-hmm. you know oh, yeah. they, they last
1: mm-hmm. like yeah so I think one thing we can probably say out this conversation is like don't mess with people that write fanfic and don't mess with people that cosplay because they are <laughs> flipping talent... Um, and people who do fan art because they are bloody talented. Yes. You know, these aren't people that you should be mocking. These are people you should be flipping getting down on your knees in front of. And they room. are talented <laughs> they and are- they are determined. Yes. Yes.
0: <laughs> and they've put many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours mm-hmm. of work and
1: practice yeah. in. So they are... Uh, they're not anyone to be messed yeah. with. Actually, speaking of that, and also because... It just occurred to me and it's part of my research and public engagement Ha-ha. <laughs> batgirl new 52 comic
2: mm-hmm. one
1: of the things they did halfway through was they did a soft reboot of the comic so mm-hmm. gail simone finished writing her series and they got a new creative team on and they completely revamped the costume mm-hmm. but the costume that they gave was basically a leather jacket mm-hmm. um like black tight-fitting pants like kind of like leggings almost yeah yellow Doc martins and stuff and the idea is almost kind of like she's cosplaying as herself mm. so she's done essentially an affordable um, mm-hmm. everyday cosplay of her own costume mm-hmm. which kind of like ties Batgirl to actual fangirl
2: geek practices which I thought was so cool yeah also I want those yellow dogs. yes
1: oh my god it was amazing like this is July 2014 Doc Martens in that yellow colour sold out <laughs> within like a couple of weeks of that um, that relaunch being announced mm. <laughs> And they've never been back in stock since. And they've never been back in stock since now. And I really want them. <laughs> anyway, less, less about me now. Time for Pip. Time for you, Pip. You have to choose a fandom.
0: I mean, what fandom have I not really been involved with? Uh, I am an, a singularly obsessive person. I get attached to one thing and then I stay attached to it and I get really, really deep into it and then I move on to the next thing. Um... And my thing Mm -hmm. specifically is that I get really deeply emotionally attached to characters. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So, for example, I mentioned earlier when I was growing up, it was Star Trek Next Generation. I was born in 1990. By the time I hit seven or eight years old, they'd started rerunning it. Mm -hmm. It was on every evening Mm -hmm. at seven o'clock.
1: Oh, was that BBC Two? I can't remember because Northern
0: Ireland had different TV from everyone else at that time.
1: So that sounds
0: familiar. Um, and so I formed a real, like, deep emotional attachment to um, the Android character, mm-hmm. Data. Oh, yeah. I love Data. And that just made, I just, even now, I'm still, we'll go back and, like, rewatch it and be like, oh, I remember this scene. Other fandoms I've been involved with. Include Hellboy, the Hellboy movies. I have got a lot of the comics as well, mm-hmm. but because because I'm more of a movie fan, it's interesting that mm-hmm. the comic spaces are not necessarily massively welcoming for me because I don't know all the lore because I was a kid when the the comics yeah. started and there were no comic book stores for me to get any of this stuff from mm-hmm. at home. But I was massively obsessed with Hellboy for ages to the point where I almost got a tattoo.
2: I'm still thinking about a dragonish tattoo, to be honest. <laughs> I also,
0: I think my first ever piece of fan fiction mm-hmm. was a Hellboy fan fiction, um, and I'm so glad that that's lost to the realms of time. <coughs> my like super original like OC character, mm-hmm. original character that was me, of course. Like you know, got to be part of the their special team and all this kind of. Oh my
1: god! But that's the beauty of fan fiction and like the whole OC like like insert characters and Mary Sue characters. Like yes, some of them are terrible, but when you're that age, it's a cool way of exploring your own identity. And it
0: also was helping me to process some of the stuff that was going on in my personal life, which at the time was quite distressing. So it was it was a way of me figuring stuff out. Other like. Doctor Who I have great memories of phoning my best friend um at the end of one of the series of Doctor Who, one of Tennant series uh, Anyone who knows what I'm talking about is the the wall scene yeah. With the, yeah, yeah, I have very, very, very distinct memories of phoning my best friend who incidentally looks just like Billy Piper. <laughs> and us and she was in the airport and she was watching it on a mobile tv in black and white and just crying at each other and i was like i'm gonna rewrite this because it's not fair <laughs> because they love each other and not- <laughs> yeah uh and like so i get super emotionally invested in things um i wrote a bit of fa- firefly fan fiction for a while but then the one that hooked me really hard was Marvel Cinematic Universe Mm -hmm. at the time that the Avengers movie came Mm -hmm. out I was already interested with like Iron Man the only one I hadn't seen by the time Avengers came out Mm -hmm. was Captain America because I didn't know that much about Captain America and I was like eh not that interested in a war movie Mm -hmm. I of course went and watched it straight away after I got out of the cinema but at the time one of my best friends was massively into fandom and she basically like dragged me to the cinema and was like you're gonna love this and I was like okay and then like there were bits where you know when you see something and you're like my friend's gonna love and then you just keep looking at them like when things happen and yeah. she kept doing that to me and the bit where the heli carrier goes invisible for the first time like I really remember being like oh my god so I wrote loads of fan fiction I was involved in that fan fiction community for a couple of years and then it all got it all got a bit it all fell apart, basically the fandom fell apart mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there were big divides, some of the movies came out people were like, this character made a bad decision that character, and people drew sides, mm-hmm. so it was very funny when Civil War actually <laughs> came out, because I was like basically Civil War has already happened in the fandom oh. <laughs> like and the character that I uh-huh. got super emotionally attached to was Tony Stark mm-hmm. um, especially when he was suffering from his anxiety attacks and mm-hmm. things in Iron Man 3, because I have anxiety I have anxiety attacks. I was like, I really freaking identify with you, dude. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Endgame, when the when the adverts for Endgame started to come out, a lot of us came out of the woodwork. People who, st- who had been mm-hmm. part of the fandom in 2012, 13, 14, and dropped out, we all came out of the woodwork again because it felt like we were going back mm-hmm. to that feeling yeah, and a lot of the people that had caused the problems a lot like it was it was the the 13 14 year olds mm-hmm. had gone mental basically and I get it you're 13 you're 14 like you have emotions you're going through puberty you get really I mean I like I fell out with people over Lord of the Rings when I was 11, because they'd made their models with the orcs having red blood, and I was like, You're clearly not a true fan because everyone knows orcs have black blood. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's the kind of stuff that was happening. <laughs> yeah. And I'd just grown up a bit, and I was like, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not. But they'd all grown up yeah. as well by five years. They're all now 17, 18, yeah. and are like, and it was just this big revival of the community, and it's amazing. Yeah. um, But other, what other fan, I'm critical role that's the one i'm missing mm-hmm. as someone that gets massively attached to characters having 600 hours of character study mm-hmm. of free flow character study to watch at your heart's content is like it was it was something that never existed before it couldn't have existed so like I love critical role because I can lit like i I burned through the entire first campaign just in time to start week by week with the second campaign. Now, the first campaign is something like five hundred hours long, and it is these characters, these actors playing dungeons and dragons, so there's no script, there's nothing worked out beforehand. They actually have to be in these characters, and they are so you never know what's coming. You never necessarily know necessarily how someone's going to react. You get to see things really organically mm-hmm. grow, and yeah, still on that campaign two now. Mm-hmm. I I don't think I've cried nearly as like there are. There have been a few moments in my life where I've cried very hard. Mm-hmm. One of them being that moment's Doctor Who. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep. Uh,
0: another one being the ending of campaign one of Critical Role uh-huh. I literally sobbed for about three uh-huh. hours <laughs> but at the same time it's super cathartic and amazing mm-hmm. to have that connection mm-hmm. to something so yeah my my fandom tends mm-hmm. to be I'll get very emotionally involved mm-hmm. or like attached to certain characters Um. so D&D like Especially something like Critical Role, where they're all professional actors. And yeah, that was that was made to reel me in essentially.
1: Uh, well, it was pipped tonight
0: Yeah. Um So I think that's really interesting though that we all kind of have a different way that we do fandom. Like mm-hmm. mine is character driven, like emotional attachment mm-hmm. to certain characters, yours is kind of
1: aesthetics. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's the vanity approach. <laughs> But then Heather's is the, like, literary...
2: <laughs> I'm an artist. Highbrow. I'm an artist! <laughs> artist or artiste? I'm an artiste. Okay.
1: <laughs> okay, well, I think you've kind of touched on the whole emotional aspect, of it, but, like, Heather, is there anything you've emotionally connected to other than Dragon Age romances? Because...
2: Bioware. I guess... I mean, there's other... There's other things I've really connected to. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the first one I remember I would draw and write all sorts of stuff for is a bit of an odd one. Mm-hmm. There's, a game called Fantasy Star Online that was originally out for the Dreamcast. I played mm-hmm. it on the Gamecube because who had a Dreamcast? <laughs> I
0: don't even know what that is. <laughs> oh you're lucky.
2: <laughs> um, God. So again it was similar like you make your own character and um, the plot was very mysterious and almost kind of vague but there were enough characters and locations etc that you could keep coming back to so for me I guess that was kind of collaborative like I played it and my brother played it and her friends played it and we came up with and we all had a bunch of different characters because it was we're like an MMO type game where you're like I want to play is it the character with this different class and I want to play a character with this different class and I want to play a character with purple hair no. um rather than a very long story game like um Bioware games it's more like I guess Diablo maybe um, I realise that those of you who don't really play games are going to be quite lost right now, and I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, we would write a lot. Of sto- even though it was kind, it was kind of half original but half basing on this framework. We'd write a lot of stories for our character, where our characters were doing things together and all their backstories and about all their adventures um, were about ten or something. It was very fun. Um, when I was a teenager, I was like, a, I was, I loved Death Note. I loved Elf from Death Note specifically. If there's a character in like a show that they have like dark hair and they're kind of eccentric and they're kind of an asshole, and you're like, this one is the worst. That one's always my favorite. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes I and you know, it's not like I don't like other characters, but they're the ones that take me along with them, and I don't know why.
0: <laughs> I get it. Yeah, I totally I get, it, get, I it. get it. Like, yeah. Looking back at some of the characters that I felt Mm -hmm. attached to, it wasn't necessarily the brooding ones, but Mm -hmm. there's like a specific type.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Do you know what I mean? I feel almost
2: very predictable. I'm like a, you know, Elf from Death Note, Loki, early season Sherlock. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: I get your brand now. Yeah. Yeah. like,
2: those three (laughs)
0: names. i like, I I understand. Yeah.
2: (laughs) So if you ever see me enjoying something, um, you know why and how I'm enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I feel like you, can, you can definitely tell a lot about someone, like, based on the, like, characters they attach to in media. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, my friend that got me into mm-hmm. Avengers, her thing is that, like, she absolutely loves the heroes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She cannot stand villains, right? Okay. So she was watching, she was rewatching a TV mm-hmm. show with one of her friends who hadn't seen it before. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the characters you think is the hero... Mm-hmm at the end of the season of this TV show turns out to be the baddie and he twigged within an episode he's like why are you not all over that character that hero character and she's like oh no reason he's like you always go for the hero character like something is up (laughs) and she was so she had to then pretend for the whole season so she so the fact that her reactions didn't that she was like blasé about him basically didn't give away the twist because she's so predictable yeah.
1: i'm as bad though like if they've got soulful mournful eyes mm-hmm. like flipping don't bother signing me up i'm already at the front of the queue <laughs> <laughs> like i think veronica mars i mm-hmm. effing love veronica mars and i'm mm-hmm. so glad that they're finally bringing it back mm-hmm. like season four yes but like logan eccles mm-hmm I don't care how unsuitable he is for it. I don't care that he's emotionally unavailable. He is flipping beautiful <laughs> Like the guy that plays him, like he is
2: beautiful
1: eyes man. <laughs> but like, yep, I'm sold for it. And then what else what else do I get super stupid attached with? Actually, apart from that, I say that I go for that. If it's in literature
2: hmm. I will go for it. Um but someone just else? writes the word eyes, and you're like, yeah. But like, actually, actually on
1: hi- in hindsight, like, no, because like, I adore Brooklyn Nine Nine, and I love Jake Peralta. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm just kind of, I think I'm as I'm getting older, actually, I'm moving more towards like the like more appropriate <laughs> for want of a better term, heroes. You know, the ones that you actually could be in a relationship with. So I'm like, yeah, Jake Peralta yeah like he's happy he's cheerful dick grayson in certain incarnations like i'm like yeah he's all like cheerful and happy and like he's supportive of his pals and he's supportive of his girlfriends (laughs) like yeah i'm down with that um or alternatively dresselba mm-hmm
0: yeah 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 i'm still i'm still on the not brooding but like not Right, the the word that fandom uses, which is not necessarily the most appropriate or PC word, is broken. Yeah. I or not even necessarily broken, but just not quite like f- normal functional. People. I think a
1: lot of it, particularly geek media, ties into the idea that back certainly in like the 60s and stuff was the idea in order to get women into this we have to include like romance Mm -hmm. so they then included a lot of characters that are from romance tropes yeah well
0: what I mean is like Data doesn't have emotions at all Mm -hmm. Um, the one I got really attached to in Hellboy was Abe Sapien who doesn't really understand Mm -hmm. that he's it's I'm going to yeah. use the word fish out of water yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like he's literally yeah. a fish man um, Google but, like, it. but like he's very doesn't quite get yeah. a, like interaction or is quite kind of awkward and shy Wolverine mm-hmm. doesn't form yeah. human, like doesn't
1: form em- emotional attachment it's as like the idea of a woman you can like put them on their redemptive arc almost I think for some but not, In some would, angles, not, not necessarily, necessarily would, always redemptive, but you kind of get what I mean.
0: Yeah, I'm like, there's something there, that, but like,
1: um, other Mr. Darcy. Yeah, Mr. Darcy is a. Big like, one. <laughs> how many people have not fantasized about their Mr. Darcy moment? Yeah.
0: Castiel from Supernatural. Mm-hmm. It's always kind of the slightly outcast, outcast. or different character yeah. that I end up kind of like. Tony Stark, billionaire you know, playboy genius broken mm-hmm. you know, again, that's not the PC term, but that's the term that's used in fandom. fandom, essentially he is hurting a mm-hmm. lot, you know like, I tend to go, that's it, I go for the ones that have emotional pain <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if that says something about well, me. what's better
1: than going for ones that are like toxic
0: masculinity personified Yeah, like Batman. But then I like what I like to do in fan fiction mm-hmm. is make them better like make them happy yeah you know so that makes me sound like a total psycho
1: <laughs> it's fine I spoke earlier about obsessing about what people wear <laughs> <laughs> Heather would you like to make a complete muppet out of yourself on this recording uh,
2: I mean in relation to fandom <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean you've done pretty well you've gone for an hour and ten minutes without doing it so yeah. far <laughs> Got specific parameters within
2: fandom Uh, Look, I've given you... Look, I've started reading Kylo Ren fanfiction. That's my... Oh, girl! (laughs) Look, uh, he's the worst! He has dark hair and a big scar. Oh, yep, scar. Sign me up. Sign me up. Um, That's that's the the sort of deep Muppet shame, is is that I'm, like... You know, I watched Last Jedi and I watched all the things where like, Mm. he and Ray are communicating telepathically and the logic part of my brain is just like, wow, he's an arsehole. He's a bad person. But I'm also just like, they were made for each other. (laughs) They're the only ones who can understand what they're going through. He's a bad person, Heather. (sighs) (laughs) That's my brand. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. That's
0: cool. <laughs> what I love is that I know that people who are listening to this that are involved in fandom are going to totally get
2: yeah, exactly
0: I think, what we've all I just I think there's said. a lot of you
1: that are going to get it and I think there are a lot of you that are going to be like why am I listening to this if you haven't already turned off yeah. <laughs> I think maybe just to wrap it up and just amuse the people that are actually here just for the knitting content mm-hmm. we should probably relate it back to knitting a bit mm-hmm. I guess the question is, has anyone done any fandom-related knitting projects? Looking at you, Pip, first of all.
0: Yeah, Yeah, so I knit the cast of Critical Role all hats with their characters' names on from the first campaign, and literally did it in time to send it to them for Christmas, just at the wrap-up of the first campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, And funny story about that one. I was having literally the worst day ever like the worst day ever i got into bed and i cried and i was scrolling through my instagram feed and they have a every christmas they do like an episode where they open presents from fans and stuff and i was just scrolling and the the announcement photo came up that this episode was going to come up and they were all wearing my hats and i literally was like "Ah, i'm so happy today's the best day of my life ever and i literally was awake for another two hours being like sam sam they're wearing and he was like okay please go to bed (laughs) sleep you have work in the morning and it turned like the worst day ever into the best day ever Mm -hmm. Uh, so I knit them all hats and I also have released one of what will eventually become a collection of four shawls based on the Avatar The Last Airbender cartoon series Mm -hmm. so I've released the Fire Nation shawl and I will be following it up with the Air Nomad shawl, the Earth Kingdom shawl And the Water Tribe Shawl, which are like the four main communities Mm -hmm. from this cartoon. If any of you haven't seen the cartoon, it's really adorable and amazing and super cute and also strangely deep. Mm -hmm. Don't be put off by thinking it's a kid's cartoon. Like, it's really good and fun.
2: Um, I guess I sometimes take fandom or characters' uh, aesthetics when I'm picking colours for stuff rather than designing. So I have... um, I have a Melanie Berg shawl that's like the love of spiders and I made it in a sort of like black and purple colour scheme Mm -hmm. because I was thinking of a spider character from Undertale. Mm. I can't think off the top of my head of other ones where I've done that but that's kind of it where I take it when in terms of knitting it's like a kind of like fun aesthetic influence.
1: Yeah I think I'm on the same page as you Heather. You made a Batgirl cowl. Did I? Yes. Yes. Oh yeah that was a long time ago. (laughs) yeah again that was more inspired by the colours and things mm-hmm. rather than like anything specific but yeah certainly if any of you listening want to get in on some like fandom related knitting there are countless versions of the jane hat from firefly and mm-hmm. i think that tends to almost be the gateway project for a lot of people yeah that i made one for sam yeah i
2: don't know did you guys have this i know that me and Eve were both gifted a copy of a book called like geeky knits Mm-hmm. Has it has like a Jane from Firefly hat? It has. It's oh, not always from stuff. It ha- I think it has like a. Well, I wanted to make the Padme cape, but it requires like four bajillion yards of yarn for this really beautiful full length cape, cape like Padme wears in the Star Wars prequels. Because when I was growing up, I was obsessed with her. I had a Princess Amadala dress up book and everything.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I wasn't only Amadala love. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I've yeah. seen the. I've seen the book. I haven't yeah. got it, but I've seen it.
1: Um, there's those stuff, like there's the Wonder Woman wrap. Um, oh, yeah, there's yeah. the Captain Marvel sweater. Oh,
0: I want it so bad.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman mitts out there as well. Mm-hmm. There's various things with the Superman logo on. There's a Captain America hoodie. Oh, actually, mm-hmm. that that's the point. I made a Punisher hat and beanie for a guy I was dating. Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah, I guess. Thank you for listening to our very rambly mm-hmm. kind of thoughts
1: yeah Uh, it's not really concrete or anything but no yeah thank you to
2: Heather for joining us as a recap where can people find your work um you can find me on twitter at Heatheratops, and I post about my work there Mm -hmm. when I eventually get around to stealing a domain name from my nemesis I will put a link to it in my twitter bio (laughs) that's fair and where can people currently get hold of the anthology that you are in Yes, um, so the most recent thing I've been published in is We Were Always Here, An Anthology of Queer Scottish Literature and you can buy that from 404 Inc, uh, which is the publisher. Um, you can also get it from Amazon but it's about the same price.
1: Also through Screw Amazon. Dora-
2: screw Amazon, you can get it about the same price direct and they get more money. They're a small publisher, support small presses, etc.
1: And where can people find your
2: fanfiction? Um, they can find that on Archive of Our Own.
1: Cool. Thank you all for listening. We will no doubt see you at an event soon, likely with Heather. I will probably be there. I will be at Perth. Yep. Woo! Yep. You remember the woo! (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, thanks and happy fandoming, I guess. Go dip your toes into things. Bye, guys. Bye.